Hello and welcome to the latest Hubcast with me, Ryan Hallett, and today I'm joined by Ollie. Ollie is a physiologist and health assessment expert, having formerly set up a physiology team at Nuffield Health, then co-founded the world's most advanced, expensive health assessment on London's Harley Street. He now runs Future Practice, providing well-being training into the fitness sector and a clinical director to the luxury well-being business, Pillar Wellbeing and Director of Wellbeing at Medical Business, Laters Health. He consults to organisations globally on wellbeing strategy, including Nike, HSBC, the military and many, many more. That was a mouthful, Ollie. I mean, <laughs> you have done a lot. <laughs> Awful. I, I don't know what to do with that intro. I, I think, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's just, it's too long. No one, no one's listening now. People have gone. No, 80% I mean... eighty of the viewers have dropped from the minute you started. You know, it, it's a... I'm listening to it and thinking, I'm thinking, God, it's incredible. Where's, it's, where's it's, the time? It's the best thing about me. After the bio, it's downhill. <laughs> I think, you know, the time, it's been 25 years, you know, despite these other bits. I've, I've, and, and so much of that came from, you know, forging my career in the early years. That Nuffield piece is probably a big piece that, that if anyone knows me, you know, they might know that I was involved in sort of constructing the health and well-being physiologist profession. Uh, and that gave lots of my sort of fellow sports scientists an out of the gym. So it gave them a chance to have a career that used, you know, exercise programming, nutritional counselling, yeah. stress discussions, but didn't put them in a gym environment. So that, that big bit then led to lots of the subsequent pieces, which is, which is um, thankfully diverse and interesting. And they're all great companies to work with and for, truly. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, let's, let's start. Let's go from the beginning. If people don't know who you are, Ollie, like, I mean, I've okay. given you an incredible introduction there. But I mean, if you want to go to it in a little bit more detail... <laughs> it would be my honour. Yeah, it isn't because ninety percent of the words don't make any sense, right? So <laughs> even physiologist doesn't make any sense. So I, you know, I, it's well known that my wife will introduce me as a physiotherapist because she can't be asked to explain what a physiologist <laughs> is, and it and it doesn't mean anything because it, it means lots of different things. And clearly, physiology is predominantly owned by a clinical physiologist who would not be my skill set. Someone working in a hospital in sort of rehabilitation of cardiovascular disease patients or respiratory, certainly post-COVID, rehabilitation. So working in the traditional NHS or private medical system, rehabilitating people, or the sort of elite sports physiologist who'd be attached to your, you know, ATP tour, be attached to your premiership football clubs under maybe the strength and conditioning yeah. coach or, or performance coach. And, and you've got people who work in physiology bringing ill people to less ill and elite sports people to even more elite. And I, I sort of created, um, with many others, you know, a, a physiology profession that sort of that worked on, on targeting quality lifestyle and health advice to normal people, to, to the people I was seeing, which were people going for sort of annual health assessments. And that's where I started, you know, where people in large law and accountancy firms get bought a sort of annual series of medical tests. I ended up as an exercise science graduate in that system delivering a really weird product a product that that was talking to well people about illness and it and it was you know they weren't interested because people aren't fascinated by diseases they haven't got or haven't been directly touched by you know what percentage of people know what diabetes is right and it's not an incentive for me to change a behavior because i don't it's, it's intangible it doesn't mean anything so it's a really weird product you know that i was involved in early health screening or health assessments where 
I was, I was performing the role of an exercise physiologist doing stress electrocardiograms and lifestyle advice, but it became abundantly clear there was a bigger role up for grabs there in owning what is lifestyle because it's it's so confusing to most people and trying to translate that intersection between the way I lead my life, how that then affects my physiology and whether I would then become ill or even better, feel better. And so my my, my early years were sort of trying to, to create a training program that, that allowed people to have a consistent conversations about movement prescription but to gen pop you know general people not gym people nutritional you know awareness but not at a clinical as in therapeutic as in i'm going to solve your crohn's disease i'm not you know not not treating with 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 diet but just good solid foundations of diet and then coaching people on all the other things that they hadn't ever had formal guidance on like preclinical stress which everyone has everyone has stress but yeah. only the people who reach a threshold go and get sorted for it preclinical sleep which is you know 60% of the UK sites a definitive sleep problem 30% of the UK's got insomnia or, or some disordered sleep pattern yet most people don't go to a sleep center or, or wouldn't even know who a sleep specialist are so I started to have better conversations about stress sleep other things and then created a training program that allowed other people to have those same conversations like I had and I know we're going to talk about data today and started to bring data in because the doctors had their data, they had their bloods to talk about cholesterol, and they had their, you know, their, their their examination data. And I was left in lifestyle with with just sort of, you know, oh, let's just chat about this whimsical thing called lifestyle. So it's like, I need data. So if you move well, I should see some markers of movement in your physiology. If you nourish well, I should see some markers of nutrition or, or good nourishment within your physiology. If you sleep, markers of that. If you manage stress, markers of that. So mm -hmm. I, I sort of, you know, two things were happening. I was creating a narrative that allowed a broader lifestyle discussion and then starting to bring in data from other fields to make sure that those conversations weren't just just subjective. They were objective. They were using yeah. data to give you the personalized advice you were looking for. And then that rolled out through Nuffield. I mean, I've automatically got about 150 questions I'd like to Get ask you, but I'm going to I'm going to try and limit them is. I guess one of the difficult things is for people and, you know, myself included is I like, if you don't know that you've got an issue, it must be difficult to try and like stop an issue occurring. Like that is yeah. just like a society thing that I can just think of straight away. But yeah. over the course of the 25 years, and I assume I can only assume that data is a huge part of this is that, is that getting better? Are people getting better with that? Or is it still? I don't think there's any sign people are getting healthier, particularly. You know, I think I think the, the gap is widening. The health, you know, the, the health focus getting ultra fixated on their health. I think, you know, data can work in a number of areas where data, there's, there's no such thing as data. There, there's which question was I asking? So I could say, you know, the, the, the incidence of bowel cancer might be going up because the test that identifies it has become more accessible, for example. Right. So data has allowed a greater detection of a problem. Has that problem risen or fallen in terms of population incidence? Hard to determine. So data can help you ask a question, which is, have you got bowel cancer or have you potentially got bowel cancer? I can use data to guide that question. Uh, what, what I think is really interesting with data is it's not one thing. So when I, you know, the, you mentioned I was involved in the world's, you know, best health assessment. And there we, we had a sort of trust fund of cash. So we had about, you know, 15,000 pounds per client to, to work out three pretty simple questions. Could there be something wrong with me that I'm not aware of? You know, wealthy people control 
pretty much everything about their life, but they don't control their health. So they control where they live, who they live with, which country, you know, which business they own or run. They, they control that, but they don't control health. So they want to spend to, to, to reveal that blind spot. So could there be something wrong with me? There's testing that identifies that. I call that screening. Most people, there's not something wrong with them, but most people are going wrong, right? So if I look at a traditional heart attack, lots of cancers, not all um, neurocognitive disease like dementia, Alzheimer's, these don't click on overnight. These are, are physiology going wrong for years, maybe decades, maybe many decades. So the question there is, can I identify pre-disease physiology before it becomes symptomatic? So can I find your metabolic disease that's called the development diabetes before you get diabetes and you suddenly start to lose sensation in your fingers and go blind and all the other potential side effects of uncontrolled type 2 diabetes so there's prevention prevention isn't finding a disease before it kills you it's finding a physiology before it's classified as disease really the third area is 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 not necessarily about disease that may be there or disease that's building over time it's how do i feel right so that, that was the interesting part of those original conversations was that people aren't that inspired by disease, but they are interested in why they feel a bit crap. And then you're going to say, well, I want to use data to find out why you might feel crap. So I'm, I'm trying to identify the functionality of your body. So I might run a sleep analytic and say, do you go through appropriate sleep cycles? I might run a marker of your physiological stress and determine that you are exhausting yourself by being continually alert and hypervigilant and ready for some kind of pressure. I might determine that I run a gut microbiome test that says you don't absorb most of the nutrients you eat from a very nourishing diet, but you have markers of malnutrition, you know. So the, the key to data is what's the question I'm asking? And then does it reveal that data to me as, as a practitioner? The, and I think that's, that's improved. So the practitioner access to data, both the rise of functional medicine um, plus you know, development of more direct consumer lab testing is that data is more available. I don't think anyone's healthier from it because we aren't using it as strategically as we should. Now, I see a lab that runs the fear nothing blood test, right? It's a direct to consumer product. Mm. You can run that blood test and have so many things wrong with you. It, I find it extraordinary that someone has signed that off, you know? Mm. So it, it, it hasn't started with the question, which is, do I have diabetes? Do I have bowel cancer? Do I sleep properly? Am I too stressed? Am I fit? And I think we've got to ask better questions and then realize the data is there to help us support those questions. But we don't just throw data into a pot and go, that's health. No such thing. There's no such thing as health. I know that sounds odd, but there's no single test I can determine that says who's healthier yeah. out of you and me, Brian, across yeah. physical health, emotional health, wow. How could health. you? <laughs> I could. So, but, but I can test every single thing that comes out of your body and, yeah. and determine some conclusion from that. So we have got this disconnect between the rise of technology, the capability of testing, and still a disconnect between how people are using that technology to ask the right question and then choose the right tech to solve that problem. I'm not sure this is particularly answered the question. No, so no, no. I, I, you know, and I think it's, 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 it's confusing because data isn't one thing. It has to be split into what was the exact question I was asking and then can I bring data into my decision-making process around that question? And I may even choose to ignore it once I've, once I've brought it into the equation. Can you get too much data? Is it a thing? Like, can, could you get too much data on something? And like you said, with the blood tests and I have all these different things wrong, wrong with you as such, you know, like, is there too much at some, sometimes? There's definitely too much. Too much without context. You know, too much yeah. in the context of, you know, being abnormal does not mean you're being abnormal. You know, so mm -hmm. if you take traditional 
blood results ranges. They sort of work on the idea of, of a population average, not necessarily the point when I become symptomatic. So if we took a marker of thyroid, which is a, you know, yeah. there's, there's a, the thyroid, this gland in our neck produces a really useful hormone thyroxine amongst other things that, that drives my metabolic rate, the cellular activity. And someone has gone, right, what's the reference range for that? And they've said, well, if we took 100 people, um, this was the distribution of their results. And we'll take the bottom 5% and call them abnormal. And we'll take the top 5% and call them abnormal. Now, that data didn't necessarily come from who was symptomatic of a high thyroid or a low thyroid. It was based on population averages. Wow. So the first thing you've got to bear in mind with data is you may be functionally abnormal, right? So... I might have a really low thyroid level, but my functional expression of that is good. I don't get brittle nails, my hair doesn't fall out, and I don't struggle to lose weight. I might find someone with a higher thyroid than me who's completely symptomatic. And there's factors beyond factors. Certain things block thyroxine. And other, there's lots of factors in there. But, but the point is the data doesn't tell me I'm abnormal. I tell me if I'm abnormal. And then the data can corroborate that story or, or, or refine strategy. So I think first things first, if you, if you start with with data without context you might find you're completely abnormal in everything but you're functionally completely normal so that throws yeah. you off now that that's maybe less worrying that you know that sort of false positive you could call that where i feel fine the data tells me i've got a problem i haven't got the other flip of data is data could tell me that i haven't got a problem that i have so data could tell me that i've got normal thyroid so i don't pursue chasing an endocrinologist to get my thyroid sorted. But it is my thyroid, it's the reason I can't lose weight and I've got mm. my nails are brittle and my hair's falling. So the, the misapplication of data might lead someone to think they haven't got a problem, they actually have. So we'd call that a false negative. And that yeah. for me is far worse than a false positive. False positive, you might send me to a GP unnecessarily, you might waste my time, but ultimately the resolution is I don't have an issue. False yeah. negative is worse because you tell me I haven't got an issue I have, and you might delay my access of proper treatment by years or months. Mm. So I think where, where everyone wants to, to scale data-led solutions, they run the risk of false positives, but more worryingly false negatives. Yeah. But I think, again, if you, if you run 100 tests on me, I'll be abnormal on 30 of them, right? Because that's the nature of defining normality. I, I will be in that lower 5% or higher 5% across something. But mm. being abnormal doesn't matter unless it's expressing as a particular problem that I'm bothered about or it's a marker for disease, which is slightly different. So running, again, data without context, Ryan, is, yeah. is, a, is a catastrophe in the waiting. And you start with the question, why is my hair falling out? Right, now I'm gonna look at thyroid. Now I'm gonna look at, you know, estrogen and progesterone mm -hmm. and all my, you know, me, you know, female sex hormones and my, and my, you know, my testosterone. Now I'm asking a question, why is my hair falling out? Now I'm bringing data in. If I run all those markers without starting with the question, I might suddenly find myself, you know, looking for hormone replacement therapy for a body that's functioning completely beautifully, but doesn't mm -hmm. matter. And I'm talking slightly medical here, but we can translate this to sleep as well, right? That you can say, I've banged on my sleep monitor and it's told me I've got a problem I haven't got. So I was waking up refreshed. I was, you know, wasn't in urgent need of, of coffee within the first half an hour. I had no daytime drowsiness. I had no struggle with memory, cognition, immunity, yeah. but I've put my sleep monitor on, it tells me my sleep is junk, or I'm not getting enough deep sleep. So now I've got a problem. I've got a problem I didn't actually have functionally, but I've now got this marker that I'm building my lifestyle towards rather than feeling. Mentally, that's tough. It's, it, it's, it's completely negative. You know, there's the general argument, people who don't sleep well rarely get that problem 
you know, reduced <laughs> by the application of data. People who sleep well love sleep data because it consolidates and it rewards. Yeah. If you don't sleep well, adding data and technology and a slightly sort of aggressive overshadow, you know, this thing hovering over you is yeah. totally counterintuitive to good sleep. So yeah. the idea that sleep monitors would solve sleep is, is ludicrous. You know, good quality sleep data to drive an intelligent sleep strategy, yes. But beholdency yeah. to a third party application when really sleep is the absence of technology and thought and, and overthinking. Um, it, it's when sleep is the absence of those things, it's really tricky. So again, if I'm not struggling with sleep, why am I why am I measuring it? Because I might find that it creates a false negative or a false positive and I didn't really need it. So the idea that the wearing or, or aggregating data makes me healthier, I, I you know, it's love the idea. No one gets healthier from a health check, right? It doesn't make you healthier. It's an it's a process of aggregating information to make yeah. better lifestyle and and strategic decisions ongoing. But if you know if it's the wrong data, those strategies might be misleading, and you might find that the health check actually made you less healthy than, than having no check at all. Yeah, it's it's funny because especially about the sleep thing, like a, a lot of people with their wearables, you know, like that's the that's the thing you can do your sleep on there, you can do your fitness on there, and I know what I, I know what I'm like with with my wearable, you know, like I've always wanted to close certain things, and you know, like they they do for me personally, they do make me healthier, but sometimes it can be a little bit mentally tough because you like you say with the sleep situation if i've woken up and i'm like i thought i had a great night's sleep but right here it's telling me that i had hardly anything yes in my head i'm like oh, tonight i need to make sure i have a good night's sleep it can like disrupt my flow for the entire day for something that maybe i don't know whether it's inaccurate or whether the fact that i, I just feel good you know it that's that's the bit totally you know? agree and that's but that's well put Right, and, so, and let's be clear, I am a massive fan of wearables, right? So mm. I, I, I do wear, I wear a whoop. Um, <laughs> I use continuous glucose monitoring, CGM, as it might be called. Uh, yeah. I do, you know, a, a multitude of, of analytics. I've done metabolic testing, so breath by breath mm-hmm. and, and, you know, analysis. I'm very familiar with what's there and, and I, I like to understand where, where it deploys strategically. I think, you know, when, when I start with data, I start with three things. You know, forget the sort of medical diagnostic bit, I say, Data yeah. will, will serve three broad purposes into maybe the fitness or the PT community. Um, it will tell us something we don't already know, right? So I don't know how well you sleep entirely based on your morning energy levels, that appraisal of energy. So I don't know if you you are completely stuck in light sleep or you have poor sleep latency or you have you know multiple fragmented sleep. I don't know those things until I've got some some marker of that. I don't know what your heart rate variability is. And I don't know whether that, that might reveal an early sign that you are getting inadequate physiological recovery and will gradually be depleting your energy capability over weeks, months, years. So I don't know those things until I take heart rate variability or some kind of you know sleep analytic, be that an actograph or an actograph plus HRV, whatever it might be. So it's a blind spot to both of us. If we're looking at you, we're not mm. going to run a, you know, a consult. We don't know until we know. So that's a piece of data. Another piece of data, I might run a body composition on you, right? And I can look yeah. at you, you know, with your top off and, and please stop sending me photos. But, you know, you can... <laughs> Sorry about that. I, just, I, think, I think the first batch came by accident. I don't know what the second batch was. <laughs> you, know, you know, you've got... I've got... I can look at someone and go, well, within a bandwidth, that guy's 13 to 15% body fat, you know, or this person has got, you know, clearly a, a significant BMI. They'll be male. 
that's 25% body fat plus, that's female, that's 35% plus. They need it. I don't need a measurement to know they're carrying too much adipose tissue and too much weight. But the second reason is I might need to show them something to break false consensus, which is, yeah, I know I've gained a bit of weight. Now, actually, you've gone significantly. You're now 20% outside mm. reference range. You know, I want you to be less than 20% body fat, you're 25%. So there's quite a significant 25% outside of range. So there's 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 data to tell me something neither of us know to reveal you know, to me as a coach how I'm going to guide your best strategy. Then there's data that consolidates or puts a number against something we both know, but you perhaps haven't accepted. And that might be, again, you know you sleep like junk, but there it is on the screen. Or you know you've been enormously physiologically stressed because you've had a you know significant work change and a marriage breakup. And so there it is on the screen that says the way you feel is true because people don't really know whether the way they feel is consistent with the way other people feel. It's very, mm -hmm. No one teaches you what, what's normal. Years ago, you know, we were doing an energy questionnaire. I said, what's your energy out of 10? And the guy goes, well, what's yours, Ollie? I was like, well, how does mine, <laughs> how does mine affect well, I'm yours? A 10. <laughs> I, I'm a 10. But, you know, it's like, where are we going? You know, but he, you know, he, he couldn't determine what a one yeah. was, a four was. And of course, most people have disconnected from themselves. So data can help that reconnection and break this sort of false consensus that that's not a problem. And you're going, no, yeah. on paper, it is a problem. And then, and then the third, so first, you know, reveal something neither of us know. Two, reveal something to a coach that I know but I haven't got a number on, but I need to engage you on. So break false consensus. And three is how can we ever establish credible, sustainable behavior unless we evidence the impact of that behavior, right? So how many people started meditating, dropped it? How many people won't be diving into their loomy ice bath in a year's time? How many people have got no marker of whether this thing they're investing time, energy and effort into other than I think I feel a bit better? So for me to believe in the power of a behavioral change, I do benefit, not always, but I do benefit from some data point that shows that the ice bath I took in the morning changed this physiological system. And that's the reason I feel 2% better as determined by subjective. Yeah. And when you can link subjective to objective to behavior, you have a real sweet spot in terms of sustainable yeah. coaching. So for, for me, again, I, and we would almost call that sort of building on self-efficacy theory, which is I now feel I can control the, the problem I cited as, as originally mm. because I understand the physiology behind it and I understand the behavior that affects the yeah. physiology. And you say, look, here you go, Ollie, you're now in a little bit more of the driving seat with your mental health or you're a bit, a bit more in the driving seat with your digestive you know, symptoms that bothered you at dinner parties. You're a bit more in the driving seat with your libido. Yeah. So, you know, I think those, those are the things where I like data to come in, where I don't know something data can add, or I need to show you something that you didn't quite believe, or I need to yeah. prove to you the efficacy of the, out, of the, of the effort you're investing. Uh, and in those situations, that justifies the use of data for me. Yeah, I mean, it's funny how you use the ice bath as a thing because I see it everywhere at the moment, you know. And everywhere. I can't bring, I can't bring myself to do it, you know. I just, it's not me. I'd rather be warm. Yes. But it's one of those My things guy. that if, if, if I were to get in it, and I felt better after, you know, like a lot of people feel better. Like that's good. Like that's absolutely fine. And if, if it makes you feel better, then absolutely amazing. If yes. there was then data to then back that up to say actually you then it's not you just feeling better it's actually doing you better you know like that's more of a i'd make yep. that more of a behavior change as well so it's just really interesting to hear because you don't usually think of stuff like that i'm just usually it's usually on how do i feel do i feel better yes let's continue to do it that totally. sort of 
how and, I see it sometimes. And the great challenge is, you know, and that, that dosage will be, will, will have a sort of very elevated, you know, first early, early responder benefit, and yeah. then it will taper off. So it's, I think, you know, most things will, will, through the thrill, the social engagement will make you feel better in the short term. When you first start training, you get that huge neurological adaptation, you build strength so quickly. It, then it's, it's a chore. It's, 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 it's three months, <laughs> five months, right? So I'm never that impressed if someone gets, you know, gets someone going in an ice bath, you know, for, 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 for four weeks, right? Four years, you know, and then you're interesting and we'll, and we'll see sustainability. <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 when I, when I do some work, you know, in and around, so Pillar is, is obviously, a, it, it's a, oh, it's not obvious what it is, but Pillar is a, is a luxury hospitality oh. business. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which works on putting really intelligent, integrated well-being suites into luxury hotels. And there again, we, we, we have to ask ourselves the question, how do we prove we're better than Jim down the road, Joe Jim's, you know, down the road or mm. Uber Lux Jim around the corner. And, and we can go back to that simple principle. How can you tell me that your membership base got, got more well or got fitter? And I'd always ask a, a gym group, how many members got fitter last year, roughly? They'd be like, oh, no, I can tell you how many retained and what our churn rate was and our, you know, penetration of PT. And yeah. no, no, how many got fitter? Because this is what you do, right? This is a building where people get fitter. How are you defining fitness? How are you measuring it? How are you showing you're improving it? And how are you consolidating that? Of course, no one measures it. So I'm being a bit of a dick to ask it. But <laughs> d- deliberately, yeah, a friendly dick. You know, yeah. it's, 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 that sort of well-known, well-known <laughs> yeah, phrase. Yeah, that famous phrase. That well, famous I, get phrase. I, complete, I completely I, I, get it. I would do the exact so, same thing. And, and so again, same with ice baths. Now, what would I like to see with ice baths? Well, if we are down-regulating the stress response, I'd expect an improvement in baseline heart rate variability. If I'm, you know, significantly improving mental health, I might want some kind of, you know, objective, you know, a subjective questionnaire of mental state that proves over time mm. that that's had a sustainable benefit. If it's quashing inflammation, I might want a blood marker of C-reactive protein or, you know, some other biological marker reflecting inflammatory state or some marker of post-exercise soreness. Mm. If we just assume people are going to keep doing things that we've recommended forever. Yeah. We've lost the idea of human behavior. So yeah. we have to keep evidencing, evolving, adapting. That's a crucial bit. But data is there. And what I find interesting when we come to you know, PT networks is yeah. they probably haven't realized that they've been completely cut out the loop of data acquisition, right? Whoop is not a direct to PT product, direct to consumer, because the PT can't manage that data. Yeah. Aura, straight to, to consumer. Continuous glucose monitors, Super Sapiens, Very, Zoe, straight to consumer. No one's gone to the, the fitness professional and said, hey, you look after people, right? Why don't I make your life better by giving you some data that allows you know, better engagement, better strategy, better execution, better retention, because they don't trust the fitness profession to, to be a, a harbor of data. And to a certain extent, I can understand that. So what, where future practice is coming and say, look, we think fitness can be well-being, not well-being in the fluffy sense, but well-being in the more integrated, you know, lifestyle behaviors piece. But you can't be a fitness instructor using data. You've got to be a well-being coach because these things don't just touch on my movement domain. They touch on my sleep. Where's your training in sleep? They touch on stress. Where's your training on stress? They touch on, you know, digestion. Where's your training? And I'm not talking about I listen to the Huberman podcast 15 times and Joe Rogan is on my, you know, he knows my friend's uncle. <laughs> talking about how do you know these things and how do you deliver them in a consistent fashion and so for me i think fitness has got to look up and go we're, we're very nearly too far off the boat to jump on it well-being is just cut yeah. us out 
And so we're over here doing sets and reps and body, body, you know, body composition and aesthetic training. Whereas we, for me, have the most base skill set for the broadest well-being application of any professional globally. Um, but we've got to work hard to, to, to up our game. And data is a part of that. But I mean, I'm throwing out a piece of data here that is completely inaccurate. But and I have no nothing to back it up whatsoever. But I I'm would say that a, I would say that a large percentage. I won't give you specific figures. <laughs> Let me just get right this down. I, <laughs> I'm going to say a large percentage of clients these days are, are looking for a well-being coach because they they like they want more than just going to a session once a week or having a workout to do. You know, they want to know about their body and you know, like especially so many things. You know, like I mean. Well, God, you know, like the the sleep and why someone isn't losing weight is such a huge part of it. If the PT doesn't know that and they're just giving them the stuff that they know, which is the exercises and all all that bits and pieces, you know, all of these okay. clients have got all of the details on on their on their watch or whatever that might be, but they wouldn't know what to do with it as a PT. So it's something that I've always thought about. Is I was like, well, if I was go, going into PT, I I would think I'd want to you know get to know all of that aspect of it because it's it will help me my clients will stay longer you know there's a huge thing about it I, I i totally agree right i think you know for me i find it odd there hasn't been more growth in that area you know there's a there's a mm. samsung watch which does a a blood pressure an ecg yeah. to determine atrial fibrillation it will do heart rate variability resting heart rate sleep cycles um it will calculate a vo2 max for you blah blah blah, blah. <laughs> The idea that that's on your client's watch and all you can sort of talk about is steps and, and maybe VO2 max, but probably not, probably not in a meaningful way. And let's also be clear, VO2 max, the quantitative measure of aerobic or cardiovascular fitness is the yeah. single biggest predictor of life expectancy. It's probably the single biggest predictor of, you know, of, more, of, of immunity alongside, you know, the gut microbiome. Our fitness isn't whether I can run a 5K in under half an hour or under 20 minutes. My fitness is the, the cellular ability of my body to utilize oxygen as fuel. So gyms are sort of sat with this ability to modify the, the fundamental biological process by which I exist. And they're mm -hmm. sat there going, well, if we, you know, if we hit, if we hit some Romanian deadlifts today, we, we should be able to get that body fat down 1% over the next three months. It's like, you know, that will run out and it does run out and it, and it runs out. I say this interestingly, if your training clients are over 35, and I think if gyms are full of young people training young people, then they've never understood the application of movement as a, not as medicine, because that's the wrong phrase. Movement isn't medicine. Movement is the elixir of life and can, can serve a medical purpose in bringing people from disease out of disease state, but fundamentally move general population far away from becoming dysfunctional. So gyms hold this elixir of life and they sell it to young people who don't need it. And I, you know, when I first spoke at PerformX, one of the original ones years ago, I said, does anyone find it weird that gyms are full of people who don't need fitness? They like it and they enjoy it and they benefit mentally and they, be they get a benefit from it. But if I took a 70 year old who was sedentary and I put them in a gym under a careful programming for six months, what I do to that person is, is greater in terms of impact than any 22, 24, 28 year old could ever achieve. It, it's systemic overhaul. Unbelievable. And a 70 year old can still improve, but they would never go to a culturally sort of you know standard gym. Yeah. But I think, you know, fitness has also got to bear in mind fitness is damage right so if it, the reason i got whoop being transparent is because you know I, I had a busy job young family commuting um and i wanted to run fast ish times let's be clear ish is a crucial caveat there 
And on a very subtle level, I would overtrain quite easily. So I would overtrain, I would get a very clear representation of overtraining, that my immune system would collapse just enough for me to get an upper respiratory chest infection. So cause and effect, you know, very, very clear that when I did that fourth training session or I did three, but one was too hard or I did an interval session, I got a sort of tingling back of the throat, bang, you know, a couple of times, three, three, four times a year. So I got whooped to go, can you find my overtraining a day before I do, right? Because I want to run. I love it, you know, and I feel like I need a run at the end of that day, having been in the, the, the city of London and doing the things I'm doing. But I need something to, to give me a prompt that today's not the day to beast yourself or today's yeah. not the day to do anything at all. And I found we did that for me. And so I asked it a very specific question. Find overtraining a day before I find it, because I'm finding it the day after I've done it. And I want you to find it the day before. And, you know, touch wood didn't didn't, you know, through wearing the whip get any respiratory infections for a long time. But also, you know, had to attenuate my training volume quite significantly and my training intensity. Both, both those things came in. And I was running at a four, you know, 42 years old when I got it, like a 22 year old, and, and I hadn't adjusted for that natural physiological degradation, which doesn't mean I can't be at a performance level near where I was in my mm. 20s, certainly on an endurance event perspective, but I can't get there at the same rate of, of burn because I'll, I'll, I'll overwhelm. So uh, that's got to be a conversation every PT is having, right? Because fitness is damage. And what you've got is most people now are, are suffering from a hyper-stimulating environment. We talked about um, an obesogenic, I think it was a report in 94 that said the world we live in is obesogenic, as in the, the labor-saving devices that mean I don't have to walk, the hyper-palatable, ultra-processed foods that mean you know my, my diet is low in nutrient quality, high in calorie density, and low in, in satiety. That's a word I will always struggle, <laughs> making me feel full, right? So this, this sort of amalgam of low movement, energy dense foods that don't really release the biofeedback of, of, of feeling satiated and full has created obesity. But we now have a, you know, a sort of an anxiogenic environment. So everything creates anxiety because everything is, is stimulus. Everything is light. Everything is 24 hour. Everything mm. is global. And our physiology hasn't adapted to that at all. In fact, there's been no meaningful physiological adaptation for 10,000 years. But the world I live in is, is you know, so quantifiably different from 10 years ago in terms of the volume of stimulus is incumbent upon me. So the idea that, that in that hyper-stimulated, hyper-vigilant neurological environment, I would then beast myself four or five times a week with a PT who's not taking some data point to say, is that the right thing or the wrong thing, is on first view madness, where exercise is stimulus, it's adrenaline, I'm taking my, you know, my, my pre-workout, which is physiological stress, before I go and load physiological stress, then I don't go through sleep cycles, which I wake up the next day with three cans of, you know, put 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 pre-workout or, or you know or energy drink into that space, or sixteen espressos, and then I re sort of rerun the fun progressively, and we had something like seventy-five percent of, of 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 Gen Z employees citing burnout. No, not Gen Z, millennial employees citing burnout on a recent occupational survey. Wow, and fitness isn't helping that at all. Fitness is, is, is dosing stress into stressed people. So if you do not understand recovery, and by recovery, I don't mean less muscle doms the following day. I mean, understanding the biological mechanisms through which you restore energy, then you may well be a damage center rather than a growth center. And data can determine whether you as an individual or you as a cultural you know, organization, gym, are are, are, are positively benefiting the health of your clients mm. or negatively. And you might get your gains and you might get your, your you know, your, 
your lean composition work achieved at the expense of energy, immunity, future disease resilience, happiness, you know, calm, yeah. all the good things in life. That is a long-winded yeah. blurb. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, the funny bit I've taken from that is that obviously I say limit loosely, but are you surprised about the body's limit? as such like for instance with you like how much you were running compared to what you then reduced it to and like the 75 percent of people um millennial like they're hitting their max type thing like were you surprised like when the the more you've learned as to how much less people should do not less maybe different is you know yeah i i I suppose it all makes sense when you look at the life cycles and you say that we're born into into growth and development adolescence and then maturation and, and then really our physiology gives us a good crack of the whip to mm. find a mate reproduce you may not want to do either of those things um but it, that you know we're built for that and then the minute we sort of had the chance to do that all our physiological systems basically degrade progressively right so and that you know that sits so neatly when people suddenly go oh you know i get injured now playing football at 35 or i'm starting to gain weight but my diet hasn't changed or my libido's gone off a cliff and mm. you know particularly and, and women may become perimenopausal where their body starts to yeah. have less estrogen available men we have a, a really crap version of that called the andropause where our testosterone starts to dip less aggressively and, and less symptomatically but still testosterone my my you know my, my virility hormone is is now diminishing my ability to lay down new tissues dropping so I think you know if we just look at the sort of logic of physiology, anything over thirty-five, and and that might be twenty-eight for someone who's you know who unfortunately peaks early. That might be forty-five for someone else. So there's that natural variance in that as well. But I think what when you go through thirty-five, you go bloody hell, this is hard, right? And that often comes when people have their first kid, and they're suddenly this combination of you know sleep disruption plus reduced physiological resistance mm-hmm. or resilience. Sorry means that they they sort of have a catastrophic you know implosion and what most people realize at that point is a really good example is their hangovers get worse so why could i drink five nights in a row in my halcyon days at birmingham university and then take me 10 years later and i'm in a sort of you know anxious you know headachey curled up ball for less intake because I'm, i'm not as full of stem cells and androgen hormones and and cellular opportunity at 32 as I was at 22 and at 42 I'm less still so when we think of our natural physiological you know resilience diminishing from that some point in our mid-30s then we have to respect recovery as a much higher priority and I know some people are getting a bit tired of recovery going well you know I'm, I'm all for recovery I saw Dave Wright do a, a, an interview with them um, on the Escape Your Limits podcast the other day and I love Dave Wright from my zone he's like listen you know some people should be focusing more on moving than recovery. You've got to do something to recover from. And I think he's he's absolutely right that, you know, moving inactive to active yeah. should be priority number one for everyone. But in the gym space, a, a greater understanding of the role of recovery is the consolidation of the bursts has to be risen. And yeah, I'm surprised on a personal basis and then seeing ever more about the, the literature that people think you can just beast the body through its life cycle and you fundamentally can't. And, and some people can, Ryan. So you get the occasional yeah. guy, documentary on Rich Froning, who must have unbelievable, he's a CrossFit athlete, unbelievable, you know, anti-inflammatory yeah. cellular genetic capability because he can train to overwhelm three times three times a day. So he's doing, his training load in a day That's would exceed mine in a week. 
But I do want to meet Rich Froning when he's 45 and he's got 17 kids and see how he copes with it. You know, that's a question I'm going to ask, but but not yet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, it's, it's so interesting. It's so interesting because it's not... Although you think about this sort of stuff, and there will be businesses and PTs, and we're going back to that PT part of it, you know, where their business type and at this moment in time or their business... Um, whatever you call it, is is not based around that, you know. But as yes. things as things progress, and you know, time goes on, and there's more data available, which I'm sure you're seeing on a oh, year by year basis. I mean, yeah. the amount that must be available from now, from when you well, from where it started is probably unthinkable. But I mean, from even over the last few years, the, the advance of it must be incredible. And you know, it's it, it's only going to get more and more and better and better. And you just wonder, like, is it? you should know something you know that's going to help your client and help your business that's just the sort of the way that i view it I, I view it the same and again this isn't a pitch but you know i i, I set up future practice because i cannot believe there isn't a standardized approach to discussions around sleep stress heart rate variability in the fitness profession just can't believe it because it doesn't make any sense to me that you would not understand the mechanisms through which your work is effective right so i don't get fitter when i train i create mm. cellular tissue damage that assuming I sleep and I produce melatonin and that allows growth hormone and assuming my inflammatory processes are sufficient but not overwhelming then I get the the, the I get the adaptation from my yeah. session exercise is damage you know it, it's a damage and the body doesn't know what exercise is it knows it knows survival so it goes that if you're telling me I now have to deadlift you know 120 kilograms and 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 squat you know, 150 kilograms and and box jump as part of my day-to-day -day routine i'd better build the musculature and the cardiovascular and the and the ligament capability to deal with that mm. so it just assumes that's its baseline in the hunting gathering perspective mm. you know that that is all, all it's clever enough to work out so that that process of damage only works if i sleep recover etc with the exception being, if you're training people in their 20s, you might get away with it because they're so yeah. full, again, of those original stem cells and all that you know, wonderful circulating hormones and great they look detoxification. Great. <laughs> they look great, you know, and I don't, I don't want to say F them, but, you know, I, I, I wish someone had told me when I was 22 that I was living... Work, work hard. <laughs> just train every minute of every day and you get away with it. But, and I think, again, you know, they're... they're, they're the expression, interestingly, for that younger group is they're physiologically robust, but they will get neurological markers of distress, which which will play out often as anxiety. And that's not diminishing from clinical anxiety, clinical depression. There's lots of people who have, you know, subclinical levels of, of mood stability and 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 catastrophized thinking or, or low grade anxiety. And I think, you know, you may have cells and tissue that can restore and repair, but that continual message into your system that everything is go and very little is slow will express somewhere you know the human body always feeds back if it doesn't like what you're doing and traditional medicine would tell you to to to, to suppress that symptom you know a good example just of that is if you get you know a cold sore you have herpes simplex mm. um which is a virus you, you generally have a chronic infection for life when do people get a cold sore when they don't sleep well when they're overtrained, when they go out and they smash too many nights in a row that means that the virus they could normally suppress with their immune system is no longer able to be suppressed. And, and it's a biological whoop, right? So a cold sore is whoop. It's going, you have inadequately biologically restored energy. And now this virus is popping up to tell you someone else might, might be, you know, a flare of a, of a skin issue, a psoriasis or an eczema. And they'll be like, oh, 
What causes that? Not nothing as easy as singular cause, singular outcome, but collective inadequate energy restoration will lead to your biological weakness popping up. And and so this is one of the great challenges of, of saying nothing's directly causative, but if you don't get adequate recovery, and that again could be that young people are beasting themselves and the expression is something they wouldn't have associated as being collaborative with the beasting. So I wrote a course to train people to go from, I do not understand recovery to understand stress, sleep, you know, the, the biological process of heart rate variability, how it plays into whoop or all these other things. And then I can add that to my practice as just being a better coach, or I can rebrand myself as a, a stress resilience coach and start to add value to more of a gen pop population like corporate well-being talks, people who haven't been in gyms traditionally, and curate a slightly more integrated lifestyle strategy, not a movement of fitness strategy. Yeah, it's funny because the way that you explain that is a uh, is a lot better than me just saying I feel run down. That's usually how I run down is, is a really that. good word, and I think run down. You know, if I if I said again going back to those original conversations in my health assessments, energy is the the thing most people are interested in. You know, they're not interested yeah. in disease. Lots aren't interested in weight after that initial. You know, they, they hit target weight. They're not interested in immunity. It's a bit amorphous. Doesn't mean anything. Sex drive. They, they wouldn't associate it as physiological. Maybe more circumstantial but energy is the one right and yeah. and most people are tired and we, again if i go through any major train station at any given time of day i'll see everyone carrying a coffee and and you know we know people who don't feel pain die young because pain is a feedback loop that i've got my hand on a stove or yeah. i got an infection and i didn't notice and it turned septic or you know i'm doing something my body absolutely hates so pain is incredibly important but what about fatigue it's yeah. exactly the same right it's telling me Absolutely. that I didn't get adequate biological restoration and I can just go into Starbucks and I can I can take a medication for that. And it's like someone saying, like, I don't all these things are hurting me, I'm just gonna take loads of ibuprofen. Someone who's, you know, dosing on caffeine and then suppressing evening tension and anxiety and poor sleep latency with alcohol is fundamentally taking medication to suppress the biological feedback of inadequate energy restoration. And if you do that, you're on borrowed time until your ability to drain a, a natural cellular reserve expires. And, and what happens to you at that point? Is it this phrase burnout? Is it suddenly, you know, that, that post-viral fatigue just won't shift? Is it, you know, a, a stubborn uh, mood disorder? Again, that, that's slightly difficult to pin what, what it will look like. But if you if you paper over the symptom of distress for months years decades you'll get bitten and and most people are doing that we now have a lifetime incidence yes partly diagnostic of one in two people will get cancer you know we, we saw life expectancy drop for the first time in a long time a couple of mm. years ago <clears throat> not covid related other reasons never has our environment jarred more with our physiology and never has the science of recovery <clears throat> been more integral to that discussion he's going to choke don't do it. Choking. Don't do it. I can't <laughs> consciously choose not to choke. Well, actually, I have done. Bizarrely. <laughs> Honestly, I, I feel like I'm going to end this podcast and I'm going to do an incredible amount of research on myself, I think. Good. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's Always so start with you. It's, it's so interesting. It is so interesting. You know, like you have those days where you feel fatigued and you just naturally just blame something so silly you're like oh that's what that's exactly what it's going to be and you know it, there could be so many different other factors that you hadn't taken into consideration and 
especially if it's like a common thing that keeps coming up in your life it's like okay do you know what let's have a let's have a real look at that because that's you know that's a really good point i'm just jumping that, that it's got to be a common theme right so we don't mm. jump a, a, a single data point you've got people going measuring heart rate variability i didn't recover heaven forbid right we were born designed for famine for yeah. war for childbirth you know both sides of the equation you know that those yeah. bearing and those with, with disrupted sleep you know so we we are not fragile creatures and i think mm. there's you know when we come to data again there's some people who who have a poor sense of self and the data is telling them how to feel and they oversensitize to the point i can't come in today i'm not recovered or i'm feeling a bit anxious and i don't want to go to work we, we have to recognize that that we want a line of best fit over months for these type yeah. of, of discussions not i had a bad tuesday therefore i have to overhaul my entire life the body is incredibly resilient so i'm talking uh, you know a little bit about the fallibility but let's also be clear we can bully our physiology for, for decades and get away with it we can get inadequate sleep inadequate nutrition inadequate movement and get away with it but it will bite your butt in the 40s and it will definitely come for you in your 50s but you can ride that wave and what we're trying to do is if we're really taking that second stance i talked about earlier not screening not the feeling but prevention prevention is finding physiology before it falls over yeah. and i think for most people some increase in sensitivity around recovery sleep quality you know management of stress and this, you know, bringing things like breath work to the fore, cold water exposure to the fore, meditation. Mm. We've seen two unicorn businesses out of guided meditation because the inability to recover and relax is, is a real modern day nightmare. And they created a product that feels like a solution to that. It, it can be part of a solution, but it's not a solution in itself, unfortunately. So yeah, I think the, the piece there is it's got to be a thread, not, not a strand. Yeah. You know, it's got to be a common theme. And then when that theme has emerged, then I've got incentive to make behavioral recommendations off that. But we've got too many people jumping the gun that it's different strategy yeah. on Tuesday because I'm under recovered now. I'm super fit. You know, it's got to be physiology doesn't move much over a six week period. So anything mm. to determine, you know, worth of change needs to be over a period of time and anything changed needs to be sustained for a period of time. Otherwise, it's all sort of hot, hot noise, hot noise, hot air, noise and experience, not outcome. You know, and, and yeah. experience is great, part, huge part of, of the fitness world, create experiences, create, you know, community. But if you want to change health, you've got to change outcomes. And that's a slightly different conversation. Very, very interesting. I mean, I don't really know how to feel. You know, I feel like I'm going through all sorts of things here. I feel fatigue, I feel... <laughs> I'm, I'm, we can roll this on let's no, go let's my, start let's start my, at the beginning my watch has just told me i need to stand up and go for a run <laughs> good good and that you know that behavior modification piece is the consolidation and you know yeah. and that that has great value you know the, again the, it's an obesogenic angiogenic environment so we can use tech to just go ollie get off or my screen trying to shut me down or blue light filter on my screen technology is trying to it's trying to squeeze the the margins here but fundamentally, you know, me standing for five minutes isn't as good as me going for a walk. Me turning a blue light filter on is nowhere near as good as turning off technology itself. This blue light is... No. You've gone blue light oh, wild. I mean, yeah, you, you, I... You, 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 there's blue light and there's an actual <laughs> yeah. blue light. I would show I would show everyone this blue light, but it's blinding. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, blue, blue light is where we talk about the frequency of, of white mm. light that, of course, yeah. triggers the, the senses in the brain. And... And blue light from devices now proven to delay, you know, the release and, and reduce the release of melatonin, which is this this hormone we should make as our body temperature cools and we encounter yeah. darkness. 
And melatonin is a critical piece of, of production of growth hormone, which is what everyone involved in fitness wants to be full of to the point where go to some clinics and they'll inject you with it. You know, and that, yeah, it's that, crazy. Uh, you know, and again, let's also be clear on that. If you put growth hormone in, it will grow everything. And that will include, you know, an early stage tumor of some description. So people who who think that fitness and performance sits outside of health haven't yet been bitten on the butt. But, you know, if I if I create more growth hormone, I grow everything, not just the thing I wanted to grow. Absolutely. What a morbid. We can't finish on that. Note. Oh, that's, God, that's, no. Um, what a, you know. Tell yeah, us about I mean, how you feel knackered all the time, right? No, I feel great, you know. Oh, that's good. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to finish you look great. this. I'm going to go... <laughs> thank you very much. It's the blue light. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go for a run. There's a thing of what I'm going to do. Uh, but not overexert myself. There's a limit. <laughs> but yeah, here's, here's a simple bit. A run is not a run, right? So low intensity, yeah. steady state, when out of vogue, list training, swap for hit. Hit will create a better metabolic stimulation, but it won't create you know, a calming you know, uh, autonomic nervous system reset, as we might might look to call it. So there's a yeah. difference between me running in the morning and me running in the evening. There's a difference between me running tired and me running energized. So, yeah. you know, the, the dosage determines the poison. Uh, and that's true of food. That's true of exercise, true of everything. You know, you, you can, if you drink too much water, you die. Yeah. Right. So uh, no, nothing is singularly good or bad for you. It's the context in which it's found. And running is glorious. But if I'm knackered, I'd want to do low intensity if I'm exhausted generally, I'd certainly want morning rather than evening. You know, th there's all these things that need to be factored in that, that there's no such thing as running. There's yeah. what physiological message was I putting in and for what reason? And that, yeah. that's important. That is literally the one biggest thing that I've taken away from this is, you know, like I, I'm terrible. I push myself to the limit on everything I do, whether it's a run, you know, like no matter what stage of the day it is, I'll always just make sure I give it a hundred. You know, if there's food in front of me, I eat all of it. You know, I'm an overindulger. That's yeah. sort of how I, how I am. And, you know, that's, that's something that I personally would need to look into more, you know, definitely. It's a, I, you know, didn't realize how important that is, but you know, I don't brilliant. want to die from drinking too much water, essentially. Well, you yeah, and that's a great example. You won't, you know, and again, th those things will be majority yeah. benefit and it is tapering it and saying, yeah. look, and that's where data can contribute. You might, you might wear a heart rate variability, you know, aggregating device and, and it might say, look, Ryan, for you at this stage of life, all those, all that load works for you. So on paper, that looks overwhelming. If you are functioning well, your energy, you know, you joked earlier is 10 out of 10. Mm -hmm. If your if your performance levels are 10 out of 10, your concentration from my encounters with you, you're at the top of your game cognitively. So there's so if there's not a reason to change it, don't change it out the logic that you probably need it. And and I think that's that crucial point where you say, look, that might be a tool I slot into my tool belt for when the right time to use that tool yeah. comes in. But because we've raised the profile of recovery doesn't mean suddenly everyone needs to recover. Uh, and that that's ages and stages you know so mm. ages and stages you know, younger people with 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 more capacity to take things on can and should beast themselves quite a bit but if yeah. you're with someone who's who's getting diminishing returns from their training has got some fatigue who's got you know a, a compromised immune system just doesn't feel you know 10 out of 10 energy then mm. i would normally push to more recovery not more exertion as yeah. as the gateway of, of opportunity well, I hope anyone that's listened to this has had their eyes opened as much as I have. I mean, that's sort of the, the benefit. Um, yeah, Ollie, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. I mean, we could probably go on for another three hours, but I think 
Lewis first. First, he might kill us. And uh... yes, <laughs> we're not. This isn't Rogan. We no, can't spit more no. mushrooms and and <laughs> Some might and... say better though. I just more efficient. Some might. Be There's nothing. Else, you know. But... <laughs> it... <laughs> it's a great start. A great start. <laughs> Well, Ollie, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I hope the people listening absolutely love it. As I say, they they have some great takeaways from this, whether it's about their own personal business themselves, like for me personally as well. But, you know, thank you so much for joining me. It's um, greatly appreciated. A pleasure to be with you and keep up the great work. Thank you.